0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z Man Cliff Zlotnick, and now Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and
1: welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. It's episode seven twenty two. This week we welcome Pete Kinsigli, John Isaacson, and the Z Man Cliff Zlotnick. Ashley Easterby will be joining us as well from the for the roundup. We're going to look today at highlights from Winter Break 2024. Uh, before we get started, let's thank our sponsors They're the reason we can continue doing the show. IAQ Radio Association sponsors are AIHA, the American Industrial Hygiene Association, at AIHA.org. IICRC, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, at IICRC.org. The Restoration Industry Association, RIA at restorationindustry.org the environmental information association eia at eia-usa.org iaq radio industry sponsors are particles plus at particlesplus.com bioplanet at byoplanet.com
0: and now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to C Zlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everybody. I'm sorry to report that no one identified Samuel Langhorne Clemens, also known as Mark Twain is the famous American author who got married on February 2nd in the year 1870 in Elmira, New York. Here's today's IAQ Radio trivia question. What what is Victor Bourgetage's association with ABC's Wide World of Sports? Back to you,
1: Joe. Pete Consigli is a Restoration Industry Association certified restorer and water loss specialist. He's been a member of RIA since 1977. Over the years, he's been an active volunteer and filled various association leadership roles. Pete is RIA's resident historian and archival resource to the industry. John Isaacson, the Intentional Restorer, is an author and host of the D.Y.O. Joe podcast. John John speaks, writes, and coaches through his organization, the D.Y.O. Joe, helping the startup phase owners and growth-minded restoration professionals to shorten their dang learning curve for personal and professional development. And my co host, the Z Man, Cliff Slotnick, entered the field of insurance repair in 1974 when the industry was embryonic. Cliff learned the business of insurance repair by doing it. Using his disaster repair business as a laboratory, he developed methods, procedures, and products to successfully accomplish tasks which were previously undoable. Cliff's technique and cleaning, odor removal, and pr- other procedures have become industry standard practices and are relied upon globally. Gentlemen, welcome. Great to have you. Let's start with Pete. Uh, Pete, I got to get this title right now. Let me see here. The <laughs> Restoration winter break, the sunshine state customer intimate summit. Give us your overview, buddy. Yeah. So, you
2: know, Joe, uh, the winter break almost never happened this year. As a lot of people know, you know, it's been 10, 12 years we've been doing the winter breaks. The AML was the primary host until they were uh, acquired by Eurofin. And um, I had to try to find a host and uh, got really complicated. And finally, I tried to cancel twice, and all my friends told me that, no, Pete, you got to do the event. We got to have the event. We're coming anyway. And so, uh, anyway, this is kind of it was a real small, uh, intimate uh, event. It kind of reminded me, Joe, at the very early years of, uh, of the summer camp, you know, and uh, the first three or four years is 50, 60, a hundred people like that before it kind of got to where it is today. So we did, we took a small hotel over the East Springs, and it was a, a very intimate event that sold out quickly as invitation only. I had, uh, I had uh, essentially, um, uh, you know, a, a small space for the vendors and it was a very diverse audience i mean i had uh two of my australian friends owen boke uh, and ashley Easterby. he's going to weigh in during the roundup with a you know give a little bit of an overview from the aussie perspective and a uh, friend of mine and cliffs we've known for years long time ascr member jeff charlton came over from the uk and we had uh uh, the guy We had five or six companies from the West Coast that came, Californians, and, of course, uh, Mr. Isaacson, the Prime Minister of the Ojo Nation from Washington State, and then a lot of people from the coal country. So the winter break kind of is it really expanded. Um, it used to be uh, mostly Floridians and a kind of a mix between the mold assessors and the mold remediators. About half the audience were from Florida, so a lot of the speakers. But uh, we had uh, a lot of CIH uh, and uh, assessor types, and then we really want to bring more restoration and, um, uh, reconstruction kind of companies, uh, to really suit the vendors and really deal with a lot of the issues that are kind of, you know, hitting the restoration industry today. So we, I targeted a lot of the, the big members that the companies that are kind of consolidating the industry and we got some good representation. So, you know, by all, uh, uh accounts, um, we got really good feedback on the event. Um, and, uh, so the other thing that I did and I, you know, a lot of the, of the actual, uh, content for the meetings and cliff is, was in there the whole time i think the blog is going to be unbelievable that john was in there this to the, john this is the first time that john's actually presented and uh i think <laughs> he did a great job his uh presentation he kind of did the beta test for uh he's going to be doing this uh, project management i'll let him talk about it at the rea convention it was approved for a, a breakout session so we kind of did a little beta run on it and uh I think it was very well received. As a matter of fact, one of one of the speakers I see on here, the BI guy who was on, he's on there. He, hey, John, I don't know where the, the Mister Andy, the BI guy, said he loved your presentation and he really kind of enjoyed it. So I think he's going to look forward to seeing you at RIA. It's I,
1: built, uh, for those I had, that don't know, um, BI is Business Interruption guy. All right, go ahead, Pete. <laughs>
2: sometimes <laughs> we just make these guy. assumptions. But, <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Um, so a couple of the things that we did that was kind of new, a new dynamic the winter break has traditionally been a technical conference. We had a technical day and a business day to address the issues. And that kind of tied in with the theme of uh, the the customer intimate motto is to uh, pick your partners, uh, choose your projects and, uh, and collaborate and win, you know, win, win together. So uh, that's kind of where I think the industry has kind of gone is it's consolidated. It's a relationship based, and that's what the customer intimate philosophy is about that dates back to the discipline of market leaders that was written by two guys named, uh, uh, uh Fred with and, uh, Michael Treacy, um, in the mid nineties and, uh, called the discipline of market leaders. And then they did a follow-up book just on the customer intimate. And, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of where that came from. We did have a pre-conference uh, half a day workshop. That's been traditional that we've done it with the break for years, mostly in the past, they've been kind of legal and risk management this year, since that was on the formal program, we actually, uh, did a very high level uh, technical workshop a half a day. Maybe about 75% of the audience attended that. We never get full full take for that. Usually the, the two main days are full with everyone that registers. And uh, Bob Lochinger did a, a brand new presentation on project management that was kind of a mix between a uh, oversight of a, a large hotel in Miami where he was overseeing a, 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 a flooring um, installation. And uh, at the same time, the uh, big the owners of a hospitality group, they had a flood in their corporate offices and they had to handle that at the same time. So I, th- I thought it was kind of interesting um, the way he did that. And then the other presentations on that particular day were was a, a, re- a retake of stuff that we had done for the the uh, hurricane workshop last year. And also at the experience in Fort Lauderdale with uh, uh, Dr. Moon, Jeremy Beagle, Ken Siders. They were case studies and uh, science-based information they did a little bit of tweaking to it so i think that's why a few people had seen it before didn't come to that day uh and they enjoyed the florida sunshine although we did get a little rain unusual rain and uh it came for that so um then we we opened up with the reception uh in and kicked off that night uh, uh and took over the whole hotel lobby uh, we were able to bring some really nice outside caterers in and uh you know the sponsors. Uh, Tramex was the was the primary marquee sponsor, and of course IQA Radio support. You guys are kind of the marquee guys. And Cliff and uh, Isaacson are uh, uh, the D'Ojo man, the DeOjo man, are the bloggers, and gave us some really good promotion. The legacy legacy people that have sponsored have been there for, from the beginning were Sunbelt, the ICP Products, Benefect, and uh, um, the Fiberlock, and uh, of course Eurofins. Now is the you know the acquisition name for the old AML. Uh, Lisa Rogers and Michael Meter, folks, they came back. They had been there in 2022. The IICRC has been there from the beginning, and we have a couple new new people this year. Uh, Phil Roswick Jr. and Business Mentors and uh, Epic Estimates. Bobby Payne, Bobby, interesting guy, and he had a lot of little action in his table. He was the last two years in a row he won the the REA has uh, what's the, what do they call that? John, help me out here. that They have the um, the vendor of the uh, the of the year that um, was voted on. And I think uh, Epic Estimates won that, uh, I think two years in a row, if I remember. Um, and then uh, the IEQA, you know, of course, uh, those, those that follow uh, uh, the IEQ radio, we did a leadership update alive uh, uh, with the IEQA leadership team of uh, Lisa Rogers, the president, Jeremy Beagle, first vice president, and Eric Shapiro, the treasurer. And, um, on site and they and they wanted a booth for the IEQA, and unfortunately they didn't have any space so the iacrc was nice enough to share and collaborate with the booth and we gave them a prime spot in the hallway for people to you know sign in because uh, all the all of our stuff was approved for cc's 14 credits for IICRC 13 for ria designations and we had people that, and of course 14 for acac there's a, a lot of uh, i don't know at least a third of the group had ACAC designations, a lot of the assessor types and whatnot. So that was really good. Then we kicked off the uh, uh, the technical day. Each day uh, I had a morning and an afternoon keynote, and, and we kicked off the uh, uh, day one with uh, the technical day with Dr. Moon. Did a, a brand new fabulous presentation called uh, "What is competence and how do you determine competence? What's the criteria?" Because Remember, Joe, the the actual uh, the, what you have it in front of you. I don't know. Tell me the long theme of the other day. You, you, there was a theme for the conference. Um, can you read it? You got it there in front of you. Have it in your show notes.
1: I got the conference, um, but See, I don't have the 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 keynotes.
2: No, no. Just to read the theme there, um, Cliff. You got it there. Uh, there's a reason why I have to add have to hunt the notes in this.
1: Um, I got the customer. Uh, Intimate motto, choose your partners, pick your projects no, as well. You, you,
2: you had posted in one of the notes you sent me. I think it was it was is excuse me, choose or pick your partners, get the scope right, okay. Uh document uh document and process deliver the loss, uh fulfill whatever the customer promises, and then getting paid. That was the general overall theme, all right. Because these are the issues that the contractors and the assessors and everyone that's involved is is uh, with the TPAs, the insurance companies, uh, the government work, um, you know, uh, the integration, uh, what programs do you use, what is required. So we try to put the program together that was based on that theme. So we first started off by trying to establish comp- uh, competency, and then we had a series of talks. I'm not going to get into the specific talks. Yeah, there you go. John just posted it in the, uh, in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in the, um, in the chat log. Um, then the afternoon keynote was Andrew Reinhardt, and he gave a very highly technical presentation. This is uh, Tramix's 50th golden anniversary year. Chris, uh, he grew up in the business that his mom and dad started in the early 80s, and he started working there at a very young age. And he, he really gave, he gave a technical presentations on the differences of the different types of meters. Um, how they work, uh, how you identify false negatives or positives, etc. Uh, it was very high level technical presentation. And uh, I think Andrew put a lot of work into that. So those were the two keynotes on day one. Then as uh, that evening, one of the things that we did that was new this year, we actually had a banquet that was included in the regular registration. It was off site and a, a kind of a wedding venue, great Italian restaurant. Everything was right there. Of course, Pete running It's going to be Italian. And, um, we had a guest of honor there. It was John Downey. John Downey announced his uh, his retirement from the industry uh, at at the uh, conference, and I made him the guest of honor at the at the uh, at the banquet. And actually, Randy Rapp um, from Purdue came. Um, we gave him a little time to talk about this uh, the World Congress for the building construction industry they're having. Purdue is hosting in uh, May of. Uh, 2025, a conference towards the building industry. It's primarily an academic conference, but this is all, they also want to involve industry. Now, Joe, you remember, and Cliff, maybe some on the call, they, they hosted a similar conference where seven, eight countries were represented on the infrastructure in the disaster world. And RAA, IICRC, you know, the whole industry collaborated. and We had some information published on that. So, this is more for the home builders. And I'm going to try to see if we can if we can uh, bring some of those kind of people in to help support the academics of what's actually really going on in the in the home building industry. And I think Cliff, I sent Cliff the uh, the uh, link on that. Um, you can sign up for their uh, their little newsletter. They send something out. You know, every week or two they'll send something. But it has all the information. There's a website link. I asked them to put it in the blog. If you had it, you could put it in the uh, put it in the chat log. And it'll take you. It has the dates in May? It's going to be on the Purdue conference. And they, uh, Randy gave a little small talk about that um, at the banquet. Um, then day two was really was the business the business day, and that kicked off with um, the collections arena. Uh, Angela. Now, how do you pronounce Angela's name? She said, "Joe, you did a By wrong <laughs> Yeah, you did, you did a great job. I just call her Angela B. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I remember I, I so I call, I talked to Ed Cross about. I said, Ed, hey, you know, you're always welcome to come to any of my events. But it's a long way for you to come from California. I said, hey, why don't you send Angela down from my uh, from uh, Michigan? And anyway, she was excited. She did a fabulous job on talking about the documentation process, contracts, all the steps that you need to take to prepare yourself um, if uh, uh, uh so that if you hack, if you have to get into collection process, you gave a lot of uh, quick tips to do that. Okay, I'm, I'm about about to wrap. The, the second, the final keynote on uh, the last day was Josh Bachman from Violin Management. And Josh gave a talk on the kind of best practices in the state of the industry that has to deal with the integration of all the software programs. Um, you know, how is it working? Where is the industry going? And uh, I think the general consensus was we should probably have less programs and more. But, you know, you really can't control that. You know, back in the day, it was you were either an IBM or Apple and uh, and it was difficult. You know, you went to one or the other. But of course, now in the real world, most of these programs talk to each other. And uh, it doesn't really matter which one you have. And it's kind of can come down. So I don't know where the industry is going to go. But I thought it was important because that's all part of documentation and integration of how you document how you you can get paid on these projects. Uh, We had a really nice after party afterwards, which is traditional. And uh, that was fabulous. You know, I had a hospitality suite this year. We had a, we had a, that's kind of a healthy building summit thing. That was a really big hit. We had a special cigar smoking area. That's the summer camp thing. (laughs) So I kind of tried to put uh, all these little, little components in there. And, uh, and I think that, um, I think I'm about wrapped up here. Uh, Let me see. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think that the Joe Spurgeon talk was fabulous. He gave one on writing a professional report. Joe had uh, had some family issues he had to deal with, and he actually drove all the way. He was supposed to be there for a few days. He drove all the way down to deliver his presentation right back. I really appreciate that. Um, it, It was an invaluable presentation on the, on, putting a professional report together, which is an important part of documentation. And uh, and um, I, I think that's about it. And, you know, uh, I'm going to let uh, I'm gonna let Cliff and and John really kind of talk about the specific presentations in between the keynotes, what they thought the highlights, where everything was. I really enjoyed uh, John's uh, three piece. And uh, this is the first time really in the history of Winter Break that I actually felt I, myself, did a couple of presentations to fit with the theme. You know, anyone has been going to summer camp for years realize Joe doesn't speak every year. But occasionally, if he has something to say, he'll put himself in the program normally the last day. And I did some stuff on pricing that uh, I developed in the 90s. And 30 years later, it's as relevant today as it was then. I didn't have to change one thing. As a matter of fact, my buddy John said, he said, Pete, all those slides, and they were real fancy that were, they're retro now. He said, they were hot in the day. But now they're new again, and they, and they kind of like all those cool PowerPoint uh, <clears throat> images and the icons that it had on there. So I appreciated that. So anyway, uh, anyway, my friend Owen Boak, uh, we were practicing a lot of these guys, four or five, six, these guys are going uh, to REA in Australia in June. And um, they were previewing some of the presentations, how we can tweak it for the local audience. I don't know, Ashley said he thought the pricing stuff may be relevant there. I said, hey, whatever you think will be useful, that's what we did. We sent all the proceedings out to everyone the other day. The Dropbox links are coming in like crazy. Sent all the certificates out. So, John, what I want to close with this, so there's four stages to project management. One is you gotta initiate the the, the the project. That I tried to cancel it twice. You guys made me initially. Then you gotta plan the process. I did all that. They got the invitations out and I had to reserve the rooms and I had to get the caterers, right? Then you had to control and execute. And that's actually delivering it. Then you had to do closeout. And I've been doing that all week to send the certificates, to send the proceedings and do all the little stuff you do. It so essentially this show is a wrap-up. The project is done. I'm moving on to other stuff. And then not too short, between Andy Ask and the building science folks, I'm probably going to meet with them in, in, within the next month. We want to secure the venue for next year, which we're hoping will be mid-February, and we can start the process all over again. And with that, thank you. Uh,
1: and I will turn it back over to you, Joe. Uh, there you go. Thank you, Pete. Hey, Cliff, let
0: me let me jump over to you. Let's get your thoughts. Okay, well, um, I, I think that I think Pete summed up everything for the event. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think that you know what we should do. If you want, is is go through, and I can give you you know some of my takeaways, and I think John could give you you know some of his takeaways, and and and, and so on and so forth. But on, on Blockinger's uh, presentation, managing multiple large projects, I'm not sure whether he was uh, you know a an officer when he was in the service or whether he was enlisted, but, you know, he had a pretty strong military background. And one of the things that you know he talked about was the best way to manage large tasks was to divide, to divide it into, you know, smaller tasks, each one managed by someone who was going to be responsible for that. Uh, I think what Pete didn't talk about is, you know, he talked about this one project that he was doing, a large carpet installation and then the offices, Uh, for those people got wet, but he also had a yacht, a hundred and some, I'm sorry, the yacht was uh, huge. I'm trying to remember how many feet it was, you know, like, I think like 600 feet was the yacht he was doing, installing the flooring on that. He had a project going on in the Bahamas and so on and so forth. But a couple of the takeaways, uh, were that you need to know your workers, you know, and he said some are more accustomed to talking to concrete than to high-end clients, Uh, (laughs) you know, for these emergencies that happened. And there were multiple emergencies that happened, you know, he created reaction teams, you know, he needed more staff. So he was able to steal available workers from his competitors by offering, you know, some bonus money, uh, you made use of an off-site warehouse uh John I'll turn it over to you if you have anything to add on, on yeah Bob's I think he present. said
3: one of his comments on the setting the right team up for the right work he was like you don't have your tire team change the oil and so <laughs> I thought that was a a good simple point um and like you said um if it's not assigned to somebody it's assigned to nobody so it was it's very important we talked offline you know you divide a large project into smaller pieces and allow people to to uh, achieve the goal in smaller chunks and big things happen
1: all right the next one i have here cliff is the world of life or the word of life church case study in cape coral florida from severe wind and water damage to commercial roof getting paid in the sunshine state is not easy you got some notes on that one that's yeah. Ken Siders, by the way, who's also yeah. been on the show.
0: Yeah, I, I think that they provide a very unique service, which is, you know, they go in and they assess a building from the foundation uh, to the roof. And I think it served them well on this particular project. And they, they, uh, they document cause and effect, and they investigate both pre-existing and latent damage conditions. Now, one of the, the other takeaways was you have to consider your clients very carefully because if you're having problems at the beginning of the job with the client, that's a pretty strong indication that you're going to have problems at the end of the job uh, yep. with, with the client. Uh, one of the things I thought was brilliant was that they were working in Florida and they utilized an office in California to handle all of their paperwork, the estimates and and you know, you know, the office stuff. And then they went even further away. They went to Hawaii and they would send all this information from the office to Hawaii because there were these delays, you know, from from the East Coast to the West Coast. It's three hours. And I I don't know what is another five hours from the West Coast to Hawaii. So they were actually able by doing that to have estimates ready to deliver and documents ready to deliver the following morning, which uh, probably no one else would have been when they been able to do. Uh, the importance of good documentation and, and record keeping, because one of the things that they didn't realize was there was a foam, three inches of foam underneath the roof, that foam actually was holding a tremendous amount of water, and they were actually drying the inside of the building with desiccant humidifiers, and some of the building materials were actually getting wetter. Uh, as they went and there was actually a meeting uh, within the building and all of a sudden it started it was like a hose was in the ceiling and wetting everything and you know they were able to because they had the documentation they were able to go back and, and prove what had actually happened but those were some of my takeaways
1: i think ken talked a little bit about that project on the show he was on with us
0: too cliff yes he did john john
3: yeah, I think uh what do you say? Don't do spot <laughs> inspections. You gotta think of the building as a machine and then set up zones so that you can um uh part of his presentation was just kind of the methodology that they used to make sure that they got as as complete of a picture as, as possible. I think his comment on um the client I never regretted I never regretted a job that I didn't get, but there are plenty that I one that i regretted taking on <laughs> <laughs> so yeah pay attention to those red flags and i did think it was really interesting i think comments to people that start doing storm work especially if they're new to it is set up an anchor you know so maybe that first project uh once you restore it or are in the process of use that as a base of operations for your team and then and then like you said cliff the uh but i think even that's uh that, that application for storm work is what a lot of companies are using is centralizing certain operations, you know, so not every office needs to have maybe an estimator or somebody that's doing the program compliance, but you can streamline some of that to, to help even your daily operations, not just storm operations. So that was good.
1: All right. The next one I have is Robert Concrete Bob Higgins, best practices for testing moisture in concrete substrates. It's the surface stupid. I I love Bob and I think he's been a real, uh,
0: he's a gem for people that are trying to figure out concrete issues. Cliff? Yeah, he's also a genius and I think he can talk way above a lot of people's heads. But, you know, one of the things he talked about was a lot of times we only think there are three phases of water, solid, liquid, and gas and he said that there are two more that are important which is absorbed water and then absorbed water. Um, he said that the pH of a floor is not relative to concentration. And he essentially had this uh, example where he took this glass and he put in some you know, sodium carbonate and then he measured the pH of it and he took uh, another glass, same amount of water, and he kept putting more and more sodium carbonate in there and it didn't change uh, the pH. I hope some people from the IICRC uh, kind of watch that because uh, they just never get that. <laughs> uh some other things i uh, said that all concrete will eventually crack curl or warp uh that plastic reinforcements uh used in concrete cause uniform cracking that concrete deforms at it its ages uh that vapor pressure and hydrostatic pressure problems don't exist in concrete then he had this i, I
1: got to stop you there cliff that is the the one that just blows people's mind i get so much pushback from the the CIH world and others on that whole topic. I just think that's something we're going to have to continue to explore.
0: And and his citation for that is a 1965 uh, article written by someone named Brewer, uh, who established moisture migration of concrete slabs on the ground. And uh, that was done by the Portland uh, Cement Association. And one of the things Bob said was he's been in this industry for 40 plus years, and he's gaining knowledge losing knowledge, and then having to regain it again. So I think what happens is the industry changes and and, and the education changes. Uh, One one cool thing was that if you took one square meter of concrete, uh, it could actually hold 200-plus gallons of water. But to get that same amount of concrete to a 100% relative humidity, it only takes two ounces of water. I think it was
3: 90%, wasn't it? 90%?
0: I wrote down a hundred.
3: You, you might be right.
0: Um, Either okay. way, it's on. It's not a whole lot of water. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Beside the back,
0: yeah. Right, and then the other thing is critical humidity threshold. You know what happens is there are salts that are in the uh, that are in the concrete and cement, and what happens is these salts, uh, you know, play havoc if they're the wrong if they're the wrong salts. Over to you, John.
3: Do I understand correctly like when you're drying wood you know the the layers kind of shed the water upwards and in concrete he's basically saying when it gets wet it pushes the salts upwards right
0: I think they both come up Okay
3: yeah I I I uh I think this presentation kind of both presentations prior were really excellent this is the one that kind of woke up the audience um people were starting to you know wait, what are you saying? (laughs) And, um, I, it just makes me here in Washington, you can see Mount Rainier and there's certain times when you can see it and you think, oh my gosh, I can finally take a picture that captures just how massive it is in our landscape. And then you take the picture and it's nothing like, um, you know, what you're seeing in real life. And I think, uh, Um, it just, even as we're we're recapping it, it's the importance of actually being in the room and being able, there was great dialogue, you know, with the speakers and obviously high level people in the audience um, and people that want to learn. I don't think I can really add anything to what Cliff said. Uh, One thing he did say, if you know what to ask for, they can't pull the wool over your eyes. And so uh, a lot, a lot of what he was presenting was you know, don't just believe what we've always believed as convention, you know, really test whether what you believe is is fact and plays out in the built environment when you're when you're dealing with moisture.
0: He also did another presentation there, which we'll get into, where, yeah. you know, he, he went deeper into some of these concepts and then added some new ones. Yep. And then I guess the next guy was Dr. Ralph Moon. Uh, don't fall prey to MUS, which is either made up stuff or if you're a scientist, made up science. Uh, (laughs) And and what I took away from him is that it's all about science. Every building material has science behind it. I talked about the scientific uh, method where you define a question, you conduct research, you propose a hypothesis, you can perform experiments to test the hypothesis. You know, from that you get data and analysis, and from that you draw conclusions. One of the things I thought was fascinating is, is he had this slide uh, of a piece of wood, and he talked about the different ways that that wood could be cut. And that the, 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 the manner in which they the same log, the manner in which they cut that wood uh, influences the amount of moisture resistance that that wood's going to have, which I never really thought about before. And he pointed out that rift cutting uh, that sawn wood is the most moisture resistant. And he said that uh, we've known about this since 1919, uh, <laughs> when the Forest Products Laboratory of the U.S. Department of Agriculture conducted research on aircraft propeller uh, propellers. So those old double wing planes from World yep. War One, wood propellers, propellers were made out of wood. Yeah. Yep. And then he talked about duration of loss and he had done some experiments uh he, he mentioned that osb expands 30 percent uh in exposure to high relative humidity i uh, talked about uh window window failure caused by osb expanding uh, around the window and creating pressure on the window and then making it leak and he talked about you know studying the elapsed time from leak to one it's noticed you know a lot of people have a leak in their home uh they don't recognize it you know it can be from you know refrigerator uh you know waterline going to the refrigerator for ice or you know something underneath the sink and it's underneath the floor and it leaks for a long period of time before the people identify it so he's done a lot of study on that over to you john
3: yeah that was i mean seeing you know the simple tests that they put together to try to test different materials and the impacts of moisture and pressure—that um, was really interesting. Um, and then his point to using the right materials in the environments. Um, you know, the 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 flip side of that is even if we have the data, um, still cost sometimes drives the materials that we use. So yeah. <laughs> even if you know it's maybe subpar, um, it's it's not just the science; it's the market, and then educating the client on you know why this costs more but it is better in the long term um if the if the client even values that so great that was, point
1: hey let's go to halftime when we come back I'm, I'm really interested in what jeremy beagle said about best practices for mold assessments restoration and remediation so we'll be right back with uh, john isaacson and cliff zlotnick and pete consigley Association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, a Healthier World, AIHA.org. The Environmental Information Association, EIA's multidisciplinary membership, collects, generates, and disseminates information concerning environmental and occupational health hazards in the built environment at EIA-USA.org the iicrc a non-profit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry iicrc.org the restoration industry association the oldest and largest non-profit professional trade association dedicated to providing leadership and promoting best practices through advocacy standards and professional qualifications for the restoration industry at restorationindustry.org. Industry sponsors are Particles Plus. Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us, particlesplus.com. BioPlanet at byoplanet.com. Improving human, animal, and environmental health with electrostatic spray technology and advanced chemistries at biobyoplanet.com All right. And I just want to mention real quick, and I asked Grayson to put this in the chat. um, At least three of our sponsors, the RIA, the uh, Environmental Information Association and AIHA all have conferences coming up. So please help support our sponsors on their conferences. All right, Cliff, let's go back to you. Um, By the way, I also wanted to mention, go to the IAQ Radio chat um, search box put in almost any of the names in here I think there were two I could find that weren't already uh, guests on the show so if you want to learn a little more about their presentations I'm sure uh, you could also check on IAQ radio so Cliff let's go to um, Jeremy Beagle certified industrial hygienist best practices for mold assessment restoration and remediation how to document pre-existing damage to avoid being sued uh, an important topic
0: okay um I, I think one of the things he talked about was that there is a lot of bad reporting going on and a lot of people um, are really technically incompetent uh, in, in Florida and, you know, they get a license and they go in and they take a bunch of air samples and they make a whole bunch of decisions and, uh, you know, based upon on, uh, an air sample. In some situations, it's only one air sample. And, you know, what he said is oftentimes the expectation in Florida after an incident is, it, is they dry, they sample, and then they remove. And one of the points that he said is, did we really have to remove it? And he he talked about some situations uh, where, where that was not necessary. One of the things very important that he said is testing is secondary, not primary. Hmm. Uh, I talked about protocols and the fact that protocols should be site specific and the protocol should cover the where, the how much, and the how. Yeah. Uh, he also mentioned that ASTM has published a mold assessment standard uh, that is not very well known. We know on our show John Lapotere has been talking about that uh, you know for several years. Yes um, he talked about that if you are going to take an air sample, you shouldn't take it on the floor you should take it in the client's breathing zone. And, uh, he said, what is the purpose of sampling? Sampling should be done for a purpose. And, uh, he said the whole sampling industry needs a purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, as, as well. And, uh, what is the assessment going to be utilized? for? And he thinks that we need to challenge the current status quo to really provide value, uh, you know, for this investment, uh, you know, and in, in having these assessments done Over you, John.
3: Yep. Unformed, uh, uninformed assessment means using a scientific process. Exactly like you said, the site-specific protocols rather than generic ones, which kind of builds on what Ken was talking about, even when you're assessing the building. And then uh, making sure that your conclusions are based on the evidence rather than just, you know, not based on evidence or prior, applying prior um thoughts to the, the site rather than allowing the site to speak. All right, let's 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 go to the next one. Cliff,
1: I'll be interested in your take on Pete's presentation, What is Old is New Again, presentation on the roots of time and material versus unit cost pricing
0: models. What did we do before the digital age? Well, most important thing is I was able to get all the previous presentations on one page. Okay, Pete's is a page and a half. So <laughs> just, just to be, just to be fair, I think uh, some of the things that Pete talked about is you know how to put a price list together. Uh, who is your customer, and uh, really your customer oftentimes is the person who's guaranteeing the payment. I talked about different options in terms of pricing. You could utilize unit cost. You could use time and material. Uh, you could blend them together, and that. I thought a very important point that he made was simplicity and estimating avoids this perception of nickeling and diming. You know, if you have all these line items and you yeah. know, the, you know, what's at the end of the line item is minimal. Uh, I think that gives this impression that we're nickeling and diming. Uh, one of the key takeaways was that tomorrow's job may depend upon your last invoice. So if the people felt that they were overcharged or, you know, we're, we're not happy. Uh, chances are you're not going to get a, another project from them. Uh, you explained that uh, the hourly rate of a painter is really from portal to portal. And in many situations, uh, that's not for them painting eight hours a day. It's for them painting about five and a half uh, hours a day. Um, we talked about the use of different labor rates when you're putting together uh, a price list, you know, for the different types of, Uh, you know, staff that you may have, project managers, technicians, supervisors, health and safety people. Uh, And he mentioned that the two biggest costs are finding the work and then uh, finding uh, employees. Uh, There were two comments I thought were important by the audience. One was made by Ralph Moon. He suggested that uh, with pretty much with every estimate, you should add a, a line for health and safety uh and have some sort of pricing for that. And then uh someone mentioned Martin King said that your price list should be kind of like selling a pizza. You know, it's a plain pizza, but would you like anchovies on it and <laughs> maybe pepperoni or extra cheese and so on and so forth. So I thought that was a good takeaway as well. Over to you, John.
3: Yeah, presentation. It's funny, uh exactly like you titled it, what's old is new again. Um you know, a lot of people. Your one of your many points, Cliff, is a lot of people try to complicate things when really it's it's a rather simple uh, thing. Um, I thought it was interesting when Pete, you know, pointed out that time and material studies drive unit cost pricing, so they're associated. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people miss now using Xactimate, not even utilizing the tool because it does break out what its assumptions are based on labor and materials. And not utilizing that for production and timelines and budgeting, um, but like you said, who is your real customer? Um, and the uh, the uh, the graphics were impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> there
1: you go. All right, let's go to the next one here. Keynote by Dr. Ralph Moon. What is technical competence? Why is it important? Planning for the day you get sued or are deposed.
0: What do you do, Cliff? Uh, one of the things. Uh, in- One of the great takeaways that I I got was that different professions have different languages. And he says that language used by engineering is different than language used in biology. He also said that building materials have unique languages as well. And we have a challenge to communicate and, and train the next generation that's coming along. He said that what comprises technical competence is knowledge, skills, the ability to problem solve and communications. Uh, He said that you should look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I ascending in my profession or not? And if you don't feel you're ascending, uh, you should do something about it. And uh, he suggested more industry involvement or attending uh, industry programs in order to do that. Um, He said that technical competence is different than professional competence. And he said that in technical competence, uh, workers often learn by mimicking. Uh, You know, they have apprentice programs where plumbing is taught or electrician uh, or, you know, becoming an electrician is taught or carpentry is taught. He said it's different than the professions. Uh, He said that Uh, You know, in the professions we learn and attend oftentimes through technical education and then through technical uh, conferences. He mentioned that ATP can be a liability. ATP measures cleanliness, not the types of microbes that are present. Uh, He reminded employers to keep their axes sharp. And I thought an excellent thing that he did was to get their Get your employees to participate uh in industry in, in training within your company by sharing stories of what they learned on the job or how something uh that they learned applied to the project and you know get them to tell stories And that way, you know, you're kind of raising everybody's uh education. The final thing I got was that technical confidence competence is really a lifelong pursuit. John, John.
3: I think these are still the notes um oh yeah um i i liked the the formula for competence he said anticipate change and you'll always be correct um <laughs> and then um but also kind of building into your process the thought that what if i'm wrong you know and and analyzing what if i'm wrong and where might i be wrong what factors might in, interfere with my data interpretation you know, something as simple as getting your me- moisture meters, um, using them properly, and then uh, making sure that they're calibrated. Does your team actually know how to use the moisture meters, what the readings are telling them, and then how to interpret that uh, effectively? Um, <laughs> and they said, sadly, there's no consequence for incompetence. <laughs> um, and that was part of the conversation is, you know, what what is the process as an industry to then... Uh, He was speaking primarily for the environmental professionals, but uh, the same applies to the contractors is, you know, what is that process of uh, properly educating and holding people accountable for representing the industry, you know, the right way.
1: All right. Looks like Bob Higgins, Robert Higgins, the concrete guy, was a busy man at the conference. He also did a session called What You Need to Know About Inspecting and Drying Concrete.
0: How wet is
1: it? When is it dry? And why citations are important to back up the
0: facts. Cliff? He great. He he gave a very interesting case study. And this case study occurred out in San Diego at the Del Auto Towers. And he was brought in. And this was a huge, huge litigation going around and around. And one of the issues dealt with industry standards. And Bob knew a lot about both the technical technical side and he had experience in industry standards. And what happened was uh, Bob recognized that what this contractor was supposed to have been deficient in doing, uh, according to a standard, that the standard did not exist when the contractor did the job. And at that point uh, his side, you know, won the litigation and contractor was off the hook. And I thought it was, uh, you know, pretty pretty cool uh, situation there. Okay, other notes. Uh, let's see. Um, understanding moisture analysis of what's in the of what's actually in this in the cement or concrete that calcium hydroxide plus sodium chloride or salt uh, improves water solubility. Uh, he said a measurement of moisture in concrete is not a conclu- is not a conclusion. Uh, you need to find out the how and the why that's causing that measurement. Um, he talked about how relative humidity probes measure relative humidity uh, in a floor. Uh, you actually bore these holes in, uh, and then what happens is you uh, they put in a uh, humidity probe and it's airtight. Uh, you know within that, you know within that hole that's drilled in the cement, and that's how actually they can determine how much moisture is in the cement Um, said that nearly all surface coating failures on concrete are created by moisture within the top three quarters of an inch of the concrete Uh, he mentioned that heat interferes with the formation of cement and a lot of times if you're in a cold weather area they add uh, antifreeze sometimes they add ice melt uh, uh, you know calcium chloride uh, in order to it that calcium chloride. Dry generates heat, and they they may not think about it, but that heat actually can uh, adversely affect the cure. Uh, He said that higher alkalinity in concrete means that it's going to have higher resistance to drying. And finally, uh, that concrete is notoriously inconsistent. So different parts of that floor are going to have differences in aggregate, size and shape and chemical composition Uh, over to you john
3: i think he made the point a couple of times the way most people test is they abrade the surface and then come back in 24 hours and his big point was if you want to get an accurate reading uh you know get a get a reading first as is abrade the surface and then i think it was in within a half an hour wasn't it cliff that that then take your secondary reading uh, to get the to determine what the moisture is. Because if you wait that full 24 hours, um it's just pulling moisture from the environment as opposed right. to moisture from the slab itself. Yeah. Um and then I, I, I think I think he said it several times is losing the basics, chasing the argument where basically right. <laughs> you come to the site with an assumption and then you're right. just looking for that assumption rather right. than allowing the the right. site to speak.
1: All right. So the next one is Howard Woody Brickman and John T. The Roof Guy Hall from the Floor to the Rooftop. um, Howard did an introduction to wood science technologies, evaluating (laughs) job site conditions, sourcing and working with craftsmen and what to expect in a subcontractor relationship. And then uh, John did best practices for commercial roof inspections using a moisture locating technologies and how to interpret the readings to spot false negatives cliff.
0: Okay. Um, let's do Howard, uh, I guess first, um, he talked about the fundamentals, uh, of basic science, uh, and the need for meaningful observations. And he gave gave, uh, a couple of reference books, one of which was written by Isaac Asimov, actually. He actually (laughs) taught physics. And another one uh, was written by a fellow by the name of Bruce Hodley, and that was uh, Understanding Wood and Identifying Wood. Um, He said that regurgitating bad information is not an effective strategy. Uh, He complained about professionals who did not use technical terms correctly. And then he said he's not a believer in the C word. And for him, the C word is consensus. And he talked about uh, how they come up and compromise and that really um, we should be uncompromising. You know, uh, it's something it, it either is or it isn't. It's not this gray area of compromise uh you know that that's in be, in between you know he talked about magic words he said that wood either shrinks or swells yeah. uh and, and he talked about uh you know using the correct terms cupping concave you know crowning is convex uh you know what is tangential what's longitudinal uh coniferous deciduous growth rings early wood late wood rings porous and diffuse porous uh, he said that absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Mm. Um, he said that trees grow and wood flooring shrinks and swells. He said there's a difference between <laughs> what happens with a tree and what happens with wood. Uh one of the big takeaways was wood flooring is not a living, breathing thing anymore. You know, there's no live cells in that wood. Um John, go ahead. I, I've got a few more of it. Go ahead. We'll trying to conserve uh, a little time.
3: You stole most of my damn notes. Um, other than I think he said, uh, I think he literally said fear is what drives consensus. <laughs> <laughs> which was which was fun so i'll leave it at that
1: well, let's let's move over to the keynote address from andy andrew reinhardt tram x meters separating fact from fiction and moisture testing using accurate information backed up by citations and seeking the truth to get the best results cliff hey, okay. hey joe hold on there me that john t had some great stuff let, let, oh let, yeah let, yeah,
2: let, yeah let, we got john
1: yeah. t hall the roof guy yeah he he was fabulous Cliff, you got anything? Any notes from John Hall?
0: I do. I got to find them. I did not get that far.
3: I think. How about thing,
2: you, uh, Troy, John? To...
3: Qualitative and comparative reports with no quantitative da- data. So uh, I think you know, kind of the the theme that a lot of the technical guys presented was, you know, we're just using these terms. And we're just kind of going through the motions, whether it's you know looking at moisture, mold, the roof, the building, uh, the environment, and um, you know that I think that was uh, overall the theme of just like slow down, take a look at what you're doing, why you're doing it, and and um, and really everybody, whether they were subtly or directly saying it, uh, like Higgins. You know, is, are the things, the methods that you're using, proving what your conclusions are and are the, is the data that you're gathering supporting those conclusions? Um, And so that, that's a uh, qualitative versus comparative reports with no quantitative data. So, okay. Cliff, did you find your notes?
1: Not yet. Not yet. Ooh. John, it, go ahead, John.
3: I was gonna say Pete's probably got uh he can fill in the uh can you hear me, Pete?
2: <laughs> yeah. Pete. Yeah, I, I uh, kind of muted. I, I don't I don't really have any specific notes that I took on the speakers, but the my simulcast was working. Joe, one of the things we did, we did a simulcast in the boardroom from the main room. So some of the speakers and vendors we could watch it and we could see what was going on because the two halls are right across from each other. But John is very accomplished. He has terrific graphics he's got he's a leading one of the leading authorities in the world and not only the roofing but also coatings. for years he worked with Sherman Williams and um, this is why the talk that he does and also the concrete bob talk they're kind of interrelated uh you know from the foundation all the way up to the rooftop in these buildings and 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 uh, you know the enclosures and if you don't have anything go ahead let's move on to Andrew's talk if you have if you have something on that. oh yeah no I've got
0: I've got stuff on Andrew go ahead Uh, his talk was separating fact from fiction and moisture testing Uh, he talked about the fact that a sling psychrometer explained what it is and how they never go out of calibration Uh, he said that qualitative measurement information is often useful uh, with one exception and that exception being wood Um, big takeaway for me was wood moisture equivalent and the story of, of kind of where that came from when they were building the london underground they wanted to know exactly how much moisture you know was in this uh concrete that had been poured and what they would do is they would drill a hole in it and they would put a piece of wood in and they would let the wood stay in there for you know like let's say 24 hours then they would remove this piece of wood and then they would weigh it and then they would dry it with heat and they would measure the difference in, in, in weight. That's you know called a gravimetric measurement, and that's where uh, wood moisture equivalent comes from. <laughs> uh, he mentioned that uh, there was a chart uh, of wood moisture equivalents, and uh, I gave credit to ProtoMeter, you know, for doing the research work. And actually, I went online, found the chart, and the chart will be uh, as part of the blog. And he uh, mentioned, reiterated something that that concrete Bob had said, that concrete is not homogeneous, so it's not consistent based on the poor.
3: John? I had to, I don't remember, I think I had to run an errand during this one, so unfortunately I missed this particular presentation, but um, just talking to those guys, it's really cool, the the Tramex story that they're family-run organization and I mean, you can work directly with the people um, that are um, a part of the organization. I think Pete brought up, they pretty much ship their stuff next day when you order it. But uh, once it gets to the States, then it goes through our system of delivery. So <laughs> uh, if you ever have a delay, don't uh, don't blame Tremex. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's yeah, go to that, them.
2: I mean, I think they're the, they're the biggest FedEx customer. In Ireland or in Dublin, and they they land everything next day right here in the U.S. And, you know, they opened up before the pandemic, the Orlando office, which is mostly customer support. And they also do a lot of calibration and servicing there. But everything basically comes from Dublin. Joe, let me uh, let me weigh in at this time. You know, I, I think we were pretty foolish to think that uh, in a one hour show we could cover uh, 25 speakers, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you remember <laughs> when we did the Siri conference, we, we had to roll over to two days. I don't think we need to roll over to two days. I'll just apologize to if some of the people who called in can stay on. Great. I think we move through. We're going to run a little over. Let's uh, complete everything. It'll be in the blog. I don't think we want to run another show. So uh, that's my take on it. So at this point, let's just keep moving along. Go to the next talk, Cliff and John, and let's let's just
1: move through it. All right. Let's look at Joe Spurgeon, the essential elements of a professional formal report, how to defend your assessment reports recommended protocols, and post-remediation verification. I think Joe's uh, one of my favorite guests on the
0: show. All right. Um, he said that if you want a defensible report, you have to write a quality report. And he said that defensible report writing is critical, and um, you need to document. You know, For instance, he gave an example of documenting if you're going to take an air sample, what time did you take it? And that time is important because it, that, that's you, you, if that's the first thing you've done when you're on the particular job, you haven't stirred up anything, you haven't disturbed the indoor environment. So having the timing of that sample is important. He went on to say if it wasn't documented, it didn't happen. He said the report may be the only thing occupants, the insurance company or attorney will see. The report documents condition the inspection process and the results of the inspection. The report informs about the significance of the findings. The report communicates information. Data in the report is usable and actionable. And when you write a report, you may be called upon to defend the report in either a deposition or during a trial.
3: John? I think uh, think it was during the question and answer portion, but they're talking about um, what should you do if the uh, opposing side brings in really terrible um, expert witnesses? You know, do you want to get them thrown out or dismissed? And he goes, no, I love having them on the stand. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, usable, actionable information. Um, again, like he wasn't it doesn't have to be super complex, but it just needs to make sense. All
2: right. Hey, Joe, the one thing I'll dovetail, I think that Joe's talk about reports really dovetailed off of what Jeremy was talking about when Jeremy just used the case that didn't show there were just so many bad reports. Joe came in because he get he does, he gets requested to do a lot of reviews and, uh, and, uh, he, he said it's embarrassing. Some of the
1: things he sees in the reports. I agree. All right. Huey Miller. One guy we have not had so far on the show, but we will be getting him. Lessons learned from storm response preparedness, mobilization, and logistics in an affected region. Working as a subcontractor and managing the crews to deliver on the prime contractor's customer promise and assure you get paid. Cliff? Joe.
2: Okay. Are you uh, saying, Joe, Joe
1: Omaha. Wait,
2: wait,
3: wait. I'm I'm saying, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. You're saying he's been elusive on the show? For IAQ Radio. No,
1: no, I don't know that we've had him on the show. Yeah, I think
3: he, he must be a slippery little snake because he missed the the, the uh, event. <laughs> Okay,
2: all oh, right. So no, listen. Let me let me tell you what happened here. Cliff was smiling like the cat that ate the canary. There, um, Huey Huey's uh, had some uh, critical family issues, and he couldn't come. He was trying to come, and I have his presentation. I knew all about his presentation. It was fabulous. It, uh, anyway i i gave the key talking points now if cliff took some notes uh i, I defer to clifford john to give some notes but i gave huey's presentation about 15 minutes instead of the half hour he had allotted i hit a lot of the key talking points guys spent a lot of time with him it was an important talk i hope in the future i'll have him come back and maybe do something more significant cliff you got did you take some notes on on was uh, talking points? yeah
0: no of course uh, first, of all, first of all, if you're from Louisiana, you don't like or trust outsiders. Uh, <laughs> and that uh, Huey's second generation, his son is in the business now with him, is third generation. Uh, Huey's uh, work responding to catastrophes uh, has mainly been in the role of a subcontractor. And he had some excellent pre-catastrophe preparation tips. He said, one is money. Uh, cash is king, and if you can't afford to go, you shouldn't go. Uh, expectations. You know, everyone's going to have them. You're going to have them. Uh, your client's going to have them. The contractor for whom uh, you're you're partnering with is going to have them. Uh, a big part of it is generators. Uh, you're going to need generators to run your drying equipment. Uh, Pete brought up the point of eminent domain. And what can happen is FEMA, the government, can come in and actually take your equipment under the right of eminent domain. You know, eventually you'll get it back. Eventually you'll get paid for it, but that can be uh, years later. Uh talked about the importance of logistics and, you know, kind of having a plan, not doing it by the seat of your pants. Uh, the importance of picking your projects carefully, and then even choosing your partners more carefully so that you can win win together. So okay. those are my takeaways from uh from All right. Well, let's keep going. Mike McGinnis and Jeremy Beagle,
1: risk assessment model and understanding the roles and goals of multidisciplinary
0: approach to a successful project completion. Cliff? Okay, Jeremy Beagle, risk management. Um, he talked about frequency, money, severity, hazards, events, and, con- and consequences. And uh, he talked about what is a competent person. Uh, certification may not have any accreditation like ACAC has third-party uh, accreditation. The IICRCs uh, does not uh, certification may or may not require continuing education. You know, there's some programs you get your license and you're done and uh, in, in others in other areas, you have to get the continuing uh, educational uh, credits. Uh, he said the licensing Uh, may not have any requirement for field experience whatsoever. Um, Talked about PRVs, uh, post-remediation verification. Uh, In some places, it's air sample clearance. Uh, He's more of a believer, free of visible mold, and confirmation that the remediation protocol has been followed. He pointed out that while the IICRC and other organizations talk about normal fungal ecology. No one has defined what normal fungal ecology is. He pointed out that there is no mold clearance standard. He mentioned that air samples don't reflect the quality of remediation categorization. Uh, he talked about uh, the standards language can be weaponized, uh, you know, in reports He talked that, he mentioned that ATP, uh, when you use it, you don't know what you're sampling. And uh, he concurs with Ralph, uh, uh, Dr. Moon, who said ATP is an indicator for cleanliness only. Uh, He then gave a case study of abuse. It was a townhome. Uh, What had happened was the soffits uh, were blown off of these townhome buildings. Uh, There was a big conversation about what type of water was in there. Uh, The the, uh, initial... Uh, testing lab company that went in there thought uh, category, you know, considered category three, they did a very costly, uh, renovation. And, uh, you know, Jeremy had a bunch of photos and what the photos showed is water really never entered, uh, the home. Uh, there was a little bit of moisture in the attic and that was it. And, uh, they based this on one sample that was taken. And the sample showed cladosporium and two most common bacillus species and a little bit of yeast. So they had limitation of data, and uh, this ended up uh, being a big abuse in terms of charging a whole lot of money for work that really did not need to be done. Hmm. What was the result on that? Cliff, did the contractor take a beating? I don't think so. And and this was one of the issues is there's really no penalty, you know, for incompetence. They'd already gotten the money, already gotten away with it. And, uh, you know, that was one of the things that uh, when we get into, Ange- you know, Angela you know talks about uh, court cases. And, you know, what they need in Florida is a couple of they need to have court cases involving some of these contractors that are either incompetent or uh you know doing this purposefully mm-hmm. and they need to bring some of these guys to court and they need to have a couple of court cases and uh that you know that most likely will clean it up and until that happens it's not going to get cleaned up. I
1: would imagine they look at the cost versus you know the the benefits and then just say it's not worth taking it to court. But I could be wrong there. John
3: Yeah I I always um Jeremy always has great data. I think uh, Cliff hit on that. One thing that's interesting is, I think he said, is it the S760 that the IICRC is looking at trying to make a new term or some am- ambiguous term that moves away from IEP? So um, a lot of people have opinions about that. So uh, if that's important to you, you might want to make your voice heard. Well, it's been heard actually. Uh, <laughs> and, you know,
0: I, I can tell you the word, uh, the def, the uh, abbreviation IEP does not appear in seven hundred and sixty uh, at all. And what happened is, in the wildfire standard, uh, they've created a new definition, uh, which I think they're calling competent person. Oh,
3: oh that's and, a new definition.
0: Yes, and, and in my in my personal opinion. It is corralling. Okay, so the guys that were on the committee kind of got together and says, we all agree on this. We're going to put up these fences, and we're in, and anyone outside the fence is out. And if they want to get in, they have to do what we've done, be what we are, and and, what, and so on and so forth. So,
3: What is the term that you would be more of a fan of, or is that even the right question? Well,
0: it's really not the term. It's whether there's a need or not. Okay. And I've never been a big fan of of how, well, no, no, I've never been a big fan of what happened with uh, S520, where all of a sudden people who don't know how to do a remediation job are writing protocols. And yep. most of the time, they've never done the job. They don't know how to write a protocol. So they call their buddy and they ask him for one of his protocols. Yep. And then that becomes their protocol for your project. It's not site specific. And Joe's laughing because he knows it's true. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, that's, that's what happens. And what happens is these guys are running out of mold work and they see fire restoration and wildfire cleanup is, is the next mold is gold. the iep
1: full employment act part two
0: that's right and it ain't ain't gonna happen on my watch if there's anything i can do about it all right let's go to andrea
1: by No, no no we can't forget
0: oh we can't forget mike mikey Mikey. i'm sorry
1: did we oh mike mcginnis of course always always an interesting character there very very jersey mike
0: Jersey Mike okay very interesting uh, mike did a presentation on risk communication and conflict resolution again he always has his 4p's people pathways pressure and pollutants and he gave um a case history of responding to community outrage there's a school in new jersey uh they were doing getting ready to do some construction they were moving some dirt outside and they happened to have found some pesticides that had been Stored on the property. All of a sudden, you know, war got out. There were pes- pesticides there. They brought in an environmental company. You know, they go in and they get everyone all fired up and so on and so forth. And uh, he had some video, uh, a television video of these meetings where they had the mayor where they had, you know, people from the school district and they had, you know, in the audience, all these parents and they're screaming and pointing fingers. And I mean, it's, it's like, it's like a mob and the whole thing really didn't need need to happen. And a lot of this was based on, uh, you know, poor sampling strategy and they never sampled the soil outside and, and Mike ended up having to, uh, when Mike got involved, uh, he ended up bringing in people from the state government, uh, physicians, and toxicologists, and you know people that were really, really well respected to kind of help him calm the situation down. And he gave. Uh, there was a doctor, Peter Sandman, and this person uh, ha- written has written a book. I think he may have done some work for or AIHA, if I'm not mistaken, and it talked about, uh, one was responding to community outrage (laughs) strategies for effective risk communication. The other one is risk equals hazard plus outrage. Uh, Really, really good stuff. And uh, when asked about what Mike does for a living, his answer is always that he is a building pathologist. And so, we had Dr. Sandman on the show
1: actually a long time ago, Cliff. Risk times outrage equal hazard. I, I forget the exact yeah. formula, but uh, put him in the search box, and that was a great show. John? Hey,
2: Joe. Uh, John, you got any points on McGinnis? I got one little final thing I want to say to him, but go first, John.
3: I think just the the one thing I could add to what Pete said, testing is never your first step. Um, you know, Again, very logical process and uh, um, making sure you're doing right by the the client. Pete Pete.
2: Yeah. One, one of the things that Mike this Mike has done this IQ, the roles and goals and IQ emergency. He's done it for the Bill Turner group before summer camp, the main indoor air quality council, and a few others. And at the 2022 winter break, we were asking Siri came close to hosting a, a four-hour workshop on this. I, I but it just didn't come together. I think next year's winter break, if there's enough interest, I want to bring Mike back to do a four-hour on this in more detail. And what he, what he does is he shows all the people that are involved when it's some kind of an emergency in indoor air quality, the consultants, the remediators, the government, all of that. And he shares his experience and, and the roles and goals and where it all fits. I think it'd be very interesting. And uh, we didn't have it before, but I, I could tell. I, I think, uh, you know, he had a few videos and um, anyway, it was interesting. So we're, we kind of got that on that. That's kind of in the pipeline. So now we're going to move to the day two to Angela. So Cliff's up. uh, Go ahead and read Angela's talk there.
0: Okay. Uh, Angela talked about contracts, AOBs, collections, and preventing going legal. Joe, a lot of things that were in our interview with Angela, you know, she touched upon there. And, you know, she added some additional stuff to it. Um, Let's see. Talked about the importance of knowing who your customer is, who's going to be paying you, uh, the importance of uh, having a good contract, um, the importance of knowing whether or not it's a covered loss. And if it's not a covered loss, does the client have the ability to pay? Uh, talked about managing expectations, uh, you know, communications, the importance of it, good documentation. Uh, she uh, talked about... Uh, Using Encircle, uh, and they've been on a program as well. And how how a an estimator can do a real time video along with narration, and then the software actually prints out, uh, you know, gives you a printout of uh, what was dictated. Um, the importance of having regular communications, uh, you know, with the client uh, and uh, scheduling. Uh, required performance delivery schedule. So if the client's responsible for ordering something or making a choice of cabinets or something like that, that, uh, you know, they have to do it and they have to understand that, you know, that could adversely affect uh, the project. Uh, important of, importance of documentation. Every time you have a conference with, you know, someone, be it the adjuster, be it the client, uh, you should make a memo and, uh, you know, kind of, copy them back in. This is my understanding of, you know, what we discussed. Um, Talked about having a collection plan where you send your invoices properly. Uh, You then uh, call the client and uh, confirm that they've received it and ask whether or not they've had any questions. Then kind of mention, when can we expect payment? And then you could gradually escalate uh, as needed. Uh, She talked about lien rights and AOBs. Uh, making a decision uh, you could potentially mitigate the cost of dispute resolution Uh, some policies have an arbitration clause or have an appraisal clause and you know she's kind of pro uh, appraisal uh, you know when you can get that to happen Uh, she talked about uh, if you a reason for getting involved in, in a litigation, deciding to litigate, you know, the contract has been reached, breached. Uh, the client uh, had unjustment, enrichment, uh, something called quantum maroot uh, conversion or statutory conversion. Uh, she, she talked about doing a lien and and sometimes just a threat of a lien is uh, more leverage than actually doing the lien. She talked about the litigation process, um, that there are timelines uh, real important uh, in that litigation process. Um, Let's see. Uh, Talked about when to compromise, when to consider it, when not to. Uh, And then she talked about industry setting precedence and how important that is. Uh, You know, the restoration industry has... Is small in comparison to the insurance industry and the amount of money we have to kind of further our industry interests and that the, the best way to do it is through setting industry precedent cases. So if a contractor is really uh, uh, abused, you know, perhaps that contractor should consider, you know, taking this case to court, even going up to the Supreme court, et cetera, because, you know, a big win uh, really can benefit uh, the industry uh, Just a, cu- a couple final things as uh, you talked about always be careful what you put in writing if you talked about <laughs> potential problem clients uh hoarders being one doctors being another and <laughs> one thing that was really a good idea is if you're going in if you're in mitigation if or i'm sorry yeah if you're in litigation or mediation uh, if you ask the mediator as to where he thinks the case is going to settle in many situations, he'll tell you, and you can go to the other side and say, look, this is where we're going to end up. You know uh, why don't we just go ahead and settle it now for, you know, for that amount of money. So yeah. Instead of spending a, really, a bunch real...
1: of money getting there anyway. So right. okay. really, really good stuff. John, any thoughts yep. on Angela Bairamai?
3: She did a great job. Um, I think, uh, you know, a a big portion of her um, presentation was on communication. So your day sales or being able to collect is impacted by regular and systematic communication. Um, And then to Cliff's point, um, she gave some examples of some emails and it's, uh, you know, be very careful what you put in writing, especially on your company you know phone and email, inter office communication will be subpoenaed um, and then um, and then you know, you know communication uh, throughout that process. So once once especially you know it's going to litigation, don't put it in an email uh, or even a text unless the your lawyer advises you to do so.
1: All right, let's go to the next one. This is John Isaacson, the three Ps of project management, people management, project management, and process management. An interpretive presentation of PMBOK's Four Principles of Project Management. Cliff, what were your impressions on Mr. Isaacson's presentation?
0: Really, really good presentation. I think he needed a little bit more time, though. Uh, I, I think that it was like a fire. I mean, he was given information and being on the receiving end, it was kind of, kind of difficult to keep up with it. But the things that I took away were um, that scope drives the estimate, the estimate drives the contract, uh, the importance of thorough data capture, and uh, accuracy in this data capture and data input, Um, the importance of communication. both positive and negative, uh, you, you need to communicate. Uh, the importance of an agreed scope and understanding what is or isn't in your contract, that project management is an organizational issue and that project managers need the support uh, you know, of the <laughs> firm and the production team. Um, I never really thought about some of these things, that it's an organizational issue. I never thought about the fact that uh, the project manager's project has many determinations made by others. Uh, and uh, other people set the parameters, other people set the price. Uh, and it, you know, it's the project manager's job to try to bring this in on time and on budget. And you know he has he doesn't have he doesn't really control his destiny all the time. <laughs> um, he talked about you know people, projects and processes. Uh, you know, scheduling, you know, and, and pre-production, production or adaption, uh, procurement. And uh, John also mentioned about, you know, material selections on the part of the client that, you know, they want something that's custom made or, you know, it takes a lot of time. Uh, if, if their materials are not there when the project manager needs them, they, they kind of got to move o- over to their next job. They can't just stop and, you know, wait for the stuff, uh, You know, to happen, you know, we talked about uh, integrated uh, project management, using a Gantt chart, using a spreadsheet or having a computer program upon which you can visibly see uh, the information. Um, You know, he he said the same thing that Blockinger said, top down a task assigned to everybody is a task assigned to nobody. the hmm. importance of having weekly updates, and, and on a board, you should be able to see the percentage of each job completed, the estimated date of completion, what work was completed, what's the plan for next week, any delays, and uh, you know we updated all parties. He said that people are always that your people are always the X factor. Uh, he said that project management is a customer management issue and hiring burnt-out contractors as project managers should be renamed customer management. Uh, He (laughs) talked about project uh, uh, management training, uh, you know, that they should be polite, uh, you know, you know, try to create a relevant personal link with the client and then manage the expectations. And uh, said the project management is organizationally dependent. Uh, there's a model on how you should do it and you should look in a mirror. The thing I, I took about that I thought was uh, it, 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 the most telling comment is when a project manager delivers a project on time and on budget, next time he's going to be expected to do better, to do faster <laughs> and higher profit. and Very, very true. Very true. Hey,
2: hey Joe, uh, one quick comment on that, off of Cliff's comment. John had submitted this exact presentation, RIA, and it got approved as a breakout session. He actually thought he had an hour, but I, he has 45 minutes there. And so uh, I only had a half hour on the program, so it was a training wheel thing. But at RAA, he'll have more time to really kind of do detail and tweak it as he wants. So well, sounds like Cliff the,
1: got a lot of notes out of a half-an-hour presentation. No, no,
2: Cliff got a lot of notes, and, <laughs> and John uh, uh, really did a good job, and he had a nice style about him. And uh, anyway, back to you, Joe.
1: All right. So John, do you want to add anything or should we move on?
3: I just, uh, I, I saw a lot of people falling asleep. Um, so, you know, the blog, if you, if you miss anything, Pete's blog will cover it. So. <laughs> yeah.
2: No. Hey, Oh, by the way. So the PMBOK, that stands for PMBOK. That is the property, uh, the project management body of knowledge. That's a worldwide organization. It's a
1: 700 page doc- document. Oh. Um, uh, Thank you. I was wondering about that, Pete. All right, let's go to the TED Talk using customized pricing guide uh, as a competitive uh, advantage. Managers and about what comes from that. Yeah.
2: Right.
1: Consigli says, in the pre-digital age, restorers asked insurers to be on their approved carrier list. Boy, have things changed? Yes, they have. Cliff.
0: Okay. Uh, let's see, Pete. Uh, he talked about positioning, uh, and that recent Trout, uh, the author, the authors wrote a book on uh, positioning. Um, let's see. Um, the restoration is always an expense. Scope this dictates price. Uh, liability affects scope. Poor communication increases liability. Um, losing control of the loss. Uh, you know, clients have the fear of being overcharged, um, you know, the assurance of recommendations, you know, having people recommend you is important. Uh, let's see. Uh, he said, don't tell them, sell them, uh, establish the need first, precondition the customer's mind, gain confidence of your clientele, establish a professional network of people you can rely on, um, the need sells the price. Uh, you know, he's a believer in a personalized, published restoration pricing guideline. Uh, leverage your strategy. Defending yesterday is far more risky than than making tomorrow. Um, that's it. That's all I had for Pete.
3: Right. Yeah, I think that that sell the need and then meet the need. Um, I think too, I, I think Pete kind of brought it up. It's, you know, a lot of times we're thinking, you know, what what we want as a contractor and then and then communicating in contractor speak. So break it down in a way that they understand. It's definitely something as this relates to pricing, you know, customers aren't used to seeing like an Xactimate, you know, estimate. And so helping them understand what that actually means so that you can tell them you know, what we are doing. Um, but uh, yeah, focus on what their needs are and then how your team is uniquely uh, equipped to meet that need. And then the project should sell itself for the most part.
1: All right, let's go to John Lapoteur, Ken Larson and Ken Siders, an all-star Sunshine State trio, offer their unique perspective on working and responding to cat events around Florida and other hurricane-prone regions.
0: From Texas to the Caribbean, Cliff. Okay, uh, John Lopo went first, and uh, he's going to talk about a, a, a large project that he did, and the project that actually got redamaged while he was doing it because another storm uh, hit it. And the one thing is, he did this very very large project, and Uh, Three words were important, no environmental sampling. So they did this job, (laughs) and they did no environmental sampling. Uh, John's company only works in Florida only. He stays local. Uh, This particular project was a resort and spa uh, that was originally started being built in 1888. And uh, on September 29, 2022, there was 19 to 21 inches of rain and 82 mile an hour winds. Uh, he had a 15,000 square foot spa uh that was part of a 40,000 square foot building and uh also had 16,000 square feet of exhibit space and his focus was to get this uh project open on January 1st because they had uh events and so on and so forth uh booked in there um the, uh, the owner and staff stayed through the storm. So they were kind of trying to protect their building, and that kind of showed what kind of people they were. They, they loved the building, and they, they tried to protect it. So there was a good team, and uh, the importance of a good team to take over the project when John and his, his people were done, because they were just doing remediation. They weren't doing the reconstruction or, or any of that so it was important to have a good team uh, prepared to t- uh, to take over um the building was was very complicated and some parts of the building john described as being built crap on crap okay <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh, uh he uh they were inspecting the fourth floor, and they decided to go out on the roof. And what they found on the roof uh, was 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 not good. There were a lot of uh, piercings of the roof from uh, the, the the ceiling tiles, or I'm sorry, uh, building tiles. Those Florida tiles that blew off the building in the winds and kind of really ripped up the uh, the roof. So they realized that water was going to to get in, and they decided that. Uh, contents needed to be packed up and and moved out if they were going to be saved and they had a you know they hired someone to do it and they didn't do a very good job and they had to get someone else uh, to finish it Um, there were problems with the elevator Uh, you know they had some trouble motivating a restoration contractor and his people and then they actually changed uh, restoration contractors uh, midstream um John's scope was really going to be visual clearance uh and what they found was uh in making their inspection, there were some ten, uh, tenant separation walls that needed to be removed and uh in order to open up the, the building because you, know, uh, you know to be able to remove wet materials and so on and so forth. uh actually the insurance company wanted sampling. On this particular project, and uh, John did not. Um, and you know what his clearance criteria was is what there was going to be no elevation of uh, airborne particulate, no elevation of moisture, no remaining areas of water damage. And yeah, um, John's
1: big on particle counts. That's
0: right. So they're they're working on this project, and all of a sudden on November tenth, twenty twenty two, Nicole makes landfall. Mm. So so areas that they had already remediated ended up needing to be re-remediated. And uh, again, they wanted to leave everything uh, for the, you know, for, for, you know, for the homeowner in order to, or property owner in order to be able to refinish the remediation. So that's what I have on John.
3: John? Yeah, the, the, only, the only comment I'd add, um, that was very thorough. He talked about divide and conquer, splitting up the teams and, and uh, skill sets that made sense and kind of the, the, the forward uh team and then the behind the scenes team. Um, and then emphasizing creating a site specific plan that makes sense for the customer's objectives.
1: Okay. And, and do you guys want, do you have anything on uh, Ken Larson there?
0: Yeah, I've got stuff on Ken. So, uh, Ken's approach was a little bit different. Uh, he talked about what he called navigating Florida waters and I, uh, essential IAQ practices in, in, in water restoration. I uh, said that IAQ is purity of air uh, and the impact of air on human health, and it's the aim to improve uh, the understanding of IAQ's role in, in safety and insurance claims. Uh, He said that there were state-specific regulations that required um, category water testing Hmm. and that no licensing was required in order to do this. And he felt that you need to test the water, not the air. You need to be sure your uh, IEP understands the subject. He said... uh, There's mold licensing, and there's sketchy inspectors. And uh, it's important to test for the degree of contamination, not the mold. Uh, He said water category is an IICRC-ism and and criticism of ATP for determining type of contamination. Uh, Then he talked about a project that he was doing in a Charles Edison uh, mansion uh, where six sump pumps failed. It's actually a museum-level collection of Edison stuff. Uh, The building took two feet of water. Uh, The custodian turns in a claim, and then the insurance company sends out a house cleaner. And then the job went bad. Uh, Drying uh, raised the temperature, Um, and uh, I guess they ended up having uh, a lot of problems with fungal contamination. Uh, They then talked about another job. And this was a job gone bad. This is a job in in public housing where a restoration contractor goes in, um, sets up equipment, which raises the temperature inside uh, this apartment. And uh, what happened is the occupant dies. Hmm. And then the coroner says that the contractor killed the occupant, okay, because of the heat situation. Wow. Wow and uh let's see um this person and the the coroner forgot uh certain things that were important he left that out of his report that uh, the person that died weighed 350 pounds had high blood pressure uh, had coronary disease and diabetes and um let's see um again, the cause the, the the coroner said the cause of death was hyperthermia what, this heat was killed him. Mm-hmm. and Ken said IEP's work for clients shouldn't talk uh to the adjuster. So if you're working for a client as an IEP you should not talk to the insurance company and mm-hmm. uh unless you have to and there's a need to get involved with lit, uh litigation. so that's what Ken said. All right, John?
3: Yeah, he said IQ IQ is more than air, um, license for mold but not for water. The Edison case was an interesting one. Well, both case studies were interesting, you know, priceless items. You know, obviously that's a factor. Um, It sounds like the mitigation contractor there kind of flubbed that up um, and potentially could have damaged some real priceless items. And then that's an interesting scenario uh obviously people from the audience were asking well why couldn't the person be moved and that wasn't an option in this particular case so i believe that's on did he say that was ongoing cliff like that hasn't been resolved correct yeah yeah i think it's still litigation
0: interesting yeah i think they both are i think i think there's litigation on the edison one too and i think mcginnis is involved with that
1: interesting let's let's go to this um Keynote address with Josh Bachman. I've never met Josh. I haven't heard him speak. Oh, wait, him wait, wait,
0: wait, We still had uh, Ken Siders. Actually. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Ken Siders, uh, he talked about expanding the role of the IEP. Uh, he said, imagine a world of proper assessment, proper presentation so the insurance company properly funds projects. And he said, we need to consider more than mold. Uh, the IicRC uh, talks about fungal college fun- fungal ecology determination uh, and they have category one category two and category three uh, he talked about uh, testing technologies uh, and there's differing opinions on them uh, and there may be consensus on the end, end product I talked about worthless reports uh having a holistic rep- uh approach, you know, when you go into a loss, whether it's a fire or water loss, you also consider asbestos, lead, mycotoxins, stuff like that. Um, having a holistic customer interview where you try to get background information on things that may have happened before. Um, he talks about a high-rise condo where a kid go- goes into respiratory distress and then goes into the ER room uh, and, and this tries to determine what has changed. And it turned out in that particular situation, uh, the parents uh, bought and placed in the room uh, a new furniture set that came from Tahiti. Uh, The staining uh, was off-gassing formaldehyde, and that's what made uh, the child sick, not mold. Uh, Let's see. Uh, South Florida, there's a lot of humidity. He wants mold. He's a believer in mold sampling. Uh, It's a two-year-old home. A relative humidity sixty eight percent RH, no matter what, and uh, finds out that it's the gas dryer uh, in the house. It's uh, the the exhaust vent is is, is plugged, and uh, you know the gas dryer isn't working efficiently. And then he had a meth lab, and uh, people did he did the, the occupants didn't know that um, th- the apartment that they rented was previously a meth lab. Uh, their baby got sick and uh they they then find out that no remodeling was done all they did was clean and paint over all the over all the contamination i talked about chinese drywall off-gassing and you know perhaps uh x-ray fluorescence uh might be utilized to determine whether or not uh, it's chinese drywall or not but he said oftentimes there's some uh notable things that happened the air conditioning coils turned black copper pipes turned black and then he talked about a uh tornado in Panama City uh where there were coliforms uh present on a you know particular loss that ended up um I I think the hurricane went over a sewage treatment plant and I think that this claim that he had was five or six miles away and there was a lot of E. coli, but when they kind of traced this, you know, the path of the storm and the winds and everything, they could make this uh, association between the sewage uh, treatment plant and the building. And uh, that was it for Kent. All right, John, anything to add?
3: Yeah. I think if an issue arises, one of the great questions to ask that the customer can help input on is what has recently changed in the space, and he gave examples of, you know, some pretty um, extreme incidents that you might have missed if you didn't um, perform that. What do you call it? the The customer interview, um, and uh, yeah, and then uh, two. If your customer needs assistance outside of your expertise, you owe it to refer or coordinate with, you know, additional uh, professionals that can assist with, you know, an area of specialty. So, speaking again to the power of connection and collaboration. All
1: right. Well, let's try and get this in in two hours, guys. Here we go. John, how about the John Bachman, Business Development Advisor, Violin Management, the state of the industry on software integration and best practices for estimating and documentation in the property restoration and insurance damage repair industry, a huge topic in this
0: current era. Yep, uh, I, I think that one of the cool things about Josh is that he spoke about this from a software development perspective. Uh, he had had some experience actually in developing uh, some software for a company uh, for whom he worked. So you know, he he kind of had hands-on experience with it. Uh, he talked about a maturing industry. Talked about market saturation and oversaturation. With software. He said, there's just so much software. And he said, there's one solution uh, versus specialization. Uh, that, you know, some software is the jack of all trades, but doesn't do any of them really, really well. Uh, and then you can have specialized software that does one thing, but does it really, really well. Um, and he said, does integration really exist? And then he talked about CoreLogic and Circle, PSA, the data hub. And uh, he said that an influx of capital into these products hasn't really improved the products. He says there's confusion, there's frustration, and that software technology is not a destination. He Hmm. said it's rather it's something to work towards. He said yesterday's differentiator is today's commonplace and tomorrow's (laughs) left behind and yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty I don't awesome know how stuff. you guys
1: do it in the restoration world there is so much new stuff out there and it, it it's just it's mind boggling to me. John?
3: Uh yeah, is it the four Cs of documentation consistent, clear, concise and clean. Um it was it was a great great presentation. All right, let's move to Kelvin Reinhardt and Ryan Stanley an
1: update on cloud-based moisture testing technologies and software integration for the TREMS monitoring system. We did a show on that not too long ago, actually, Cliff.
0: Okay, with Kelvin and, and uh, Kelvin Reinhardt, and Ryan Stanley, um, what they talked about was their remote monitoring uh, system, uh, the utilization of multiple sensors, uh, and that the sensors need to be labeled correctly by, lo- by location. And he said that there's resilience and remote monitoring uh, in, in their case, uh, they have uh, in, in-house recording so that in the event that there's a, pa- uh, a power failure or battery failure, they're still going to be able to, to have data. Uh, they're adding additional meter readings to their software and building it into their monitoring systems. Uh, they're talking about integrating their system with the humidifiers and integrating it with report writing systems. And I uh, said that there's a need for a full toolbox.
3: John? Yeah. That um. Just. Yep. Yeah, I think all of the integration too. They integrate with all the reporting systems. Was piggyback on what Josh was talking about.
1: All right. The next one is end-user marketing versus vendor programs, and that's a big topic in the area. We got Phil Rosebrook, Peter Crosa, Melissa Hastings, and Ramona Gallagher.
0: Cliff, okay, uh, let's start with Phil because he had some opening comments, and you know he was wearing his uh, <laughs> he was wearing his yellow coat. And, uh, you know, it's Jim McKay imitation and so on and so <laughs> forth. So, you know, he was kind of charged with the responsibility of, you know, kind of getting some conversation going. Uh, so his opening comments were... Hey, uh, Phil,
2: that was... That was uh, Cliff, that was uh, not Jim McKay. He was uh, Ted Koppel and Nightline imitation with the yellow... Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All
0: right. So his opening comments were uh, over 65 technology providers for restoration industry... Uh, program work non- uh you know non-directors uh that there were six iterations of it uh, it started in 1990 uh let's see professionalism becoming an industry uh he felt that uh, Kurt Bolden was considered a heretic and uh, so was Pete and no conflict strategy he mentioned that Paul Davis started the prism Network uh, which became Crawford and insurance companies program and um let's see they needed uh, they needed someone to manage their claims allstate gets involved uh with, with another program uh that you know franchise, uh, some of these programs needed to work with franchisers because franchisers were in a lot of the you know small rural areas and zip codes and so on and so forth to provide national uh coverage. I uh, said the TPA's level the playing field um there's been some acceptance uh, mm-hmm. let's see um and that I, I think what he said originally is franchisers got this got these contracts but they didn't have enough, coverage so then they these uh programs had to admit independence as well to uh, increase the size of coverage uh, he talked about you know three-day drying being a generic solution to a global problem and that there was tension and conflict and uh you know that uh p considerly created uh, these donny brooks at uh at ria and we could have debates on whether uh on pricing and and unit cost and whether to be involved in the programs or not um he talked about uh Dan Chavez uh said that we couldn't serve two masters Paul Gross opined uh, Paul Gross was with uh code blue uh, Paul Gross opined uh the person whose name's on the check is really your client uh then he talked about uh, Dave Osborne and Craig uh you know, having a having a, being involved in the Donnybrook, uh, that we all have to make our own decisions of TPAs, uh, whether we want to work for them or not. Um, let's see. Uh, Mickey Lee, Ken Larson have, uh, I guess, created this mantra that your project is the client and that's who you're responsible to. Uh, and what is the computer telling us we should do? Uh, what is the meter telling us we should do? What is really the right thing? Uh, talked about uh, technology driving the next iteration uh, from drive site will drive decisions. Um, let's see. Uh, carriers are concerned about how to manage uh, the volumes of cat claims. Change everything. He said that you must be strategic and deliberate, and those that and 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 pick the right jobs uh, and the right business strategies. Um, the industry is built on emergency service. It's coming full circle. What is old is becoming new again. Uh, professionalism uh, is being defined and clear uh, and delivered, and uh, focus on the needs of the property, independence. TPAs. Let's see what else I got here.
1: Sounds like he'd be a good guy to get on the show
0: here. Yeah, we probably should get him. All right, so that's what Phil did. Then they kind of got into their um, yeah, you know, their discussion. All right, John?
3: I think the first uh, on the panel was uh, Peter, right? Peter Crosa, right. independent adjuster. Um, where we've been and where we're going. Um, <laughs> he was pretty uh, direct, in some of his opinions where insurers are at war with contractors and seem to be at war with their policyholders. Um, and I think one of his comments to the the contractors and even the IEPs is, you know, we want to do right by the client, and then he stipulated as long as they pay, uh, we don't <laughs> we don't want to be working for free,
0: so. Um, And and he talked to Peter talked about the importance of protecting the interest of the insurer and their fulfillment of their promise, which is the insurance contractor about doing the right thing about having integrity and maintaining your dignity. Uh, And, uh, you know, when. People like uh, myself and Pete started, we had uh, relationships uh, with insurance adjusters. And now restores are becoming collection agencies because some insurance carriers don't do the right thing, and uh, insurance carriers have hundreds of marketing people. And yeah. uh, the residential insurance industry is at war with restores. You know, carriers don't care about the policyholders uh, who make claims. Things are getting tense when estimates uh, come into the come into play. Uh, he's talking about high-tech insurance, how to not send adjusters out and cash out. And that, you know, what they're doing is buildings, in some commercial buildings, they're actually building sensors into the building. And if the water, you know, goes up to a foot and hits that sensor, you know, they'll automatically write a check. And uh, if it goes up two feet, hits another sensor, they'll write uh, write a bigger check. Hmm. And he said that the... uh The big forensics uh, are entertaining at big industry meetings and that um, restoration contractors really aren't involved at any of these meetings. You know, they don't really know what's going on. And he said that um, it's really about the residential contractors or I'm sorry, residential insurance companies that, you know, a lot of them are, are really bad news. Uh, He says that TPAs manipulate, uh, that some insurers are at war with uh, policyholders, uh, that they've reduced risk by transferring 40 to 60% of the risk back to policyholders. Hmm. And uh, you can see that when you go to Florida, because there's still a bunch of blue tarps on top of houses and buildings years later. Uh, he said that, that there's an insurance company who owns their own restoration company and that this company must do your restoration work and that um they're backed up for 90 days and wow. if you and if you hire someone else to do their work they sue you hmm. for for breach of your insurance contract right? because it said in the contract that they were going to be the responder um let's see uh can policyholders afford to pay their insurance company when the insurance company doesn't pay uh that's important uh he said that uh as a restorer we need to vet our customers we need to vet insurance companies because more and more bad there's more bad residential insurance companies than there are good ones today and they're playing hardball and they're not paying you know they're stretching out for over 60 days and he, he said that this thing coming is called parametrics and, and they've gotten rid of adjusters and that's with the sensors where they put these sensors in the building if the water comes up they just automatically uh, write a check john anything you'd like to add
3: no, I opened the uh, Peter up. All
1: right, now there's uh, Melissa Hastings's uh, perspective as a director of contact contract relations in TPA in the. T- I guess that's third party uh, oh, groups, sir. and then Ramona Gallagher. You guys got a couple quick comments on those?
0: Yeah, I do. Uh, she Melissa- was a public hey-
1: adjuster, by the way.
0: Me- Melissa Hastings uh, has a deep restoration uh, background. You know, the family, she was in the restoration industry. Her family's been in the the restoration industry for a long time. So she knows uh, the restoration industry from the inside out. And she went to work for this company called AccuServe Solutions, which is a merger of several uh, programs, Code Blue, uh, you know, being one of them. And um, she has a different approach. Uh, you know, she wants to do the right thing for restoration companies because she was one, or she considers herself one. And I think she has a different perspective. And you know, she's looking for input, and uh, you know, she's looking for people to get involved in their program to kind of try it out, and uh, you know, to build you know, to build goodwill. You know, her job is to improve the contractor and policy policyholder experience. So that's a, that's a pretty good and exciting mission, I think. Um, let's see Um, you know she's looking for more opportunities to work together with the restoration industry she was a speaker down at RIA Uh, you know she was a speaker here I think um, you know she's honest she comes across you know very well and, and very sympathetic so I think that you know I think she deserves a chance and again you know, like in every field, there's good guys and bad guys. And I think we need some good guys in these third party programs. And uh maybe there were maybe there were it's uh
3: John. Uh yeah, I I she seemed very optimistic. She seemed like um, you know, she has a good vision and those kinds of things. I think she's got an uphill battle with that company in particular and the, the companies in the fold. So it'll be interesting to see how much change she can affect. Um, the one comment I'll say that she did make, you know, a lot of people bag on TPAs. And if you look at the, the fee structure and those kinds of things, I believe she said um, it's one of the best marketing tools you can use as a contractor. And so if you view it from that standpoint, there's um, potentially some benefits there, um, which I thought was a good point. Made me think so. All right. Cliff,
1: any any more from that presentation? Let's see. Uh, was anyone else there? I'm Ramona kidding. Gallagher, Great okay. Estates Inventory.
0: Yeah licensed got, public adjuster. Yeah, I got stuff from from Ramona. Uh yeah, her company's called Great Estates. Uh she's a personal property expert. She's been around it for for 40 years. Her background uh was originally in retail. I think she sold clothing and uh you know, high-end uh, luxury items. So she's very, very familiar with that stuff. Um, She got into the industry uh, preparing inventories for clients and preparing them for public adjusters. And then she decided that she was going to uh, uh, become one. Uh, she mentioned that many of the uh, known labels like Ralph Lauren or Hermes or uh, etc., have different qualities louis vuitton etc that they have a good one they have a better one and they have a best one and you know it's from the tags you can tell you know you know which or which uh the uh, importance of being able to identify uh what you're dealing with is it is it a replica uh is it fake uh you know or is it real and uh you know there's a lot of uh handbags out there women spend just tremendous i mean they, they, they some women spend as much as a car costs on a on a on a day bag or a purse oh. so uh it's important to know and you know ways you can tell is by looking at the zipper uh purse or stitching uh you know the hardware and so on and so forth uh it's important to know who to call and when to call specialized experts uh some antiques have provenance uh that, that's a little story that kind of goes along with them the history of the item uh sometimes you need specialized appraisers um reasons for bringing in an expert um part of her job is to prepare uh, also a total loss inventory and to value that as well so you know determine restoration uh and she doesn't do cleaning you know, she will get involved in, like, refinishing and, you know, higher-end, maybe reupholstering and that sort of stuff, but she really does not get involved in cleaning. Uh, she uses a subcontractor for that. Uh, you, know, she, you know, she'll you know adjust uh, that portion of the claim, you know, represent the policyholder. Uh, it's important to understand, uh, you know, the insurance policy if you're acting it or if you're going to be a public adjuster, you have to understand the types of policies and the declaration page and the types of values and different types of coverages etc and uh you know the approach is unique uh based upon each job that you would be doing
3: john you got anything to add um let's looking back through uh it was interesting. She had a diagram on, like you said, Cliff, the different um, even brands like say under Ralph Lauren. so knowing the dip, diff- not every Ralph Lauren's the same, you know, knowing the difference between the values in each of those items was important. Um, it was good, good overall presentation. And we don't always think about contents and what, right. you know, the, right. the, the depth uh- of that.
1: So. All right, let's wrap it up with Andrew Saul, the business interruption guy. Cliff, we just had Andrew on not too long ago.
0: Yeah, we did, we did, and uh, Andy talked about the invisible claim, which is uh, business interruption, and the importance of situational awareness, uh, threat recognition, uh, action, and that you know time is time is valuable, and that you know some a business interruption can be a hard claim can be difficult to document. And uh, you know, while you're trying to do this, you're hemorrhaging cash because you don't have any money coming in. you mm. you know, your business is brought to a screaming halt. Uh, that there you have to be able to realize the the threat based on uh the size of your business interruption claim. Uh and that the insurance company will not pay business interruption without proper documentation. And uh and what he does is he has developed a, a proprietary model, and he takes your information, and he interviews you, and he kind of understands your business and the ins and outs of it, and then he can enter these numbers, uh, you know, into his model. He says the insurance companies do the same thing, but they just have a standard model and it doesn't recognize the idiosyncrasies in one business uh, versus another. And he talked about, you know, the I actually asked him about the molasses case, and uh, you know where this uh, molasses was in a uh, storage tank at a uh, facility that also stored. Uh, fuels and oils, motor oils, and so on and so forth, and that they originally felt that the loss was going to be about $160,000, and the uh, storage facility insurance company didn't realize that molasses is a food product and that the tank that it was in was a special tank for holding food products, and that everything uh, for transporting that material had to be, you couldn't use, uh, you know, the standard piping and fittings and so on and so forth that they use to pump in and pump out motor oil or kerosene or, uh, you know, petroleum products. And actually he ended up collecting close to a million dollars for his client in that particular situation. And and just by explaining why why this had to be done. And uh you know he's a very interesting guy. So, John, he's in, oops, he's in, ahead, in John. a little. No, I'm just saying he's in a little niche that yes he fill, fills very well.
3: What John, anything make, you'd like that? I make the invisible visible so the claim can be quantified and compensated.
0: Well said.
1: All right, let's go to the round up, there, Grayson. Yeah. So,
2: uh Joe. I got a couple little closing comments, and I'll let, let Ashley weigh in. Uh, first of all, uh, Cliff and John, great job. So it's almost like Groundhog Day, Joe, because you're trying to finish by two. I, I kind of feel like if we took one hour out, we'd just run a little over for the roundup. But but we we actually got a four hour show into two hours. You know, I'm almost thinking that this is a part one and a part two, and it's like going to be a flashback Friday one day or something. You know, or something like that. Um, it's just so much. I mean, having I had 27. Speakers, moderators, and all of that in two and a half day program. It just, uh, it was quite grueling. So uh, one thing, I don't know if Cliff took notes on this, but I have some pictures. I got, I got pictures of Rosebrook in the Donny Brick jacket, which I'm gonna send out. And then we gave Tramix gave two big door prizes away, and it's amazing. So in 2022, Jason Principal from Hawaii came over, and he won the brand new $2,500 Particle Plus meter. Out of 200 names or so that we pulled out. And Jeff Charlton won the $2,500 full Tramex package, you know, of 200 names. So these two guys, I said, if we knew Jeff was going to win it, the guy's could have shipped it from Dublin right to London. They ended <laughs> to come coming in the U.S. to ship it back. Jeff didn't win it this year, but uh, Jason won one of the meters, the CMEX. That's the brand-new concrete meter that they rolled out. Jason Good. won that. The other one was won by Josh Miller from Rainbow. So we have actually two pictures of that. And um, I'm going to send that in with a, with a few other photos when I do a news release. Um, the other thing uh, that was something is we, I, I had a spouse program this year. Quite a few people brought the spouses uh, to come to the dinners. Uh, some of them actually sat in some of the meetings and uh, the banquets and the after party. I thought that was a really nice dynamic. I think I'm going to continue that. Uh, in, in the Dropbox link I sent out, besides all the presentation Joe, I had a lot of supplemental stuff like Ralph's ATP paper, Bob, uh, Bob Higgins' Citation. He had three-and-a-half, four-page paper on citations and all the concrete stuff. I, I think all this kind of stuff is really important to supplement the presentations, and that's a big benefit that, that they get. Uh, I definitely we consider to do that kind of stuff. Um, the other thing that I want to comment, I, we gave during the, the dinner – we had Randy and Downey, I said, give a little talk. I also let Lisa do a little update on the, on the IQA because um, there were some additional people that kind of came to that. And then and then Owen Boak talked a little bit about the Australian conference because a lot of the RA members are just industry people. They can go to Melbourne for that conference and be able to write the trip off and take a little vacation. And, of course, if they're an RA member here in the U.S., they get to pay the RA member right there, which is pretty good. So maybe we'll get a few people want to go down. Now, the other thing is, so I'm going to be meeting, you know, you noticed that Don Weeks had put up earlier that we'd like mid-February, right, around the President's Day. So I'm going to be meeting with Andy and would we'll, uh, see about moving it back to the, to the President's Day weekend. But also, I'm, they're talking about bringing John Straub and a couple people like that going back to the Naples Hilton. So I think we're going to have a killer uh, event for the building science. And then I want to package a one or two-day restoration remediation around that you know, with uh, uh, a larger audience and more more suppliers and all that if they can come. So we'll stay tuned on that and probably the next month or two we want to secure the venue. Now, I, I got a, a little funny thing I want to end with and you're going to appreciate this as a pit guy. First of all, we had a lot of Big Ten people there, including at, at breakfast one day, the, Illinois, the, the University of Illinois, the Fighting Illini, their golf team was eating breakfast with the coach. They came down to to practice because it's freezing up there for the spring golf, right? But uh, Josh Miller is wearing all his Wolverine stuff like Taunton Downey, right? Okay? <laughs> but Downey's a big boy. So uh, one of the things I read, a list of all the different things that are going to be taking place next year. Most of which you've already posted a lot of the associations that I said, and in January, 2025, the Ohio, Ohio state Buckeyes will be celebrating the national championship. Anyway, <laughs> Danny got a big kick out of that. Now McGinnis, your boy McGinnis. Now, of course he's the mortal enemy of Pitt because he's a Penn state, happy Valley state guy. Yeah. And I, I, I used to love that rivalry back in the day. Pitt has two big rivalries. They have the backyard brawl at West Virginia. And I had the Penn State game, you know, that day to back. So I had this big poster made of Donnie's retirement thing. I actually sent them a little one. I'm going to do a news release on that as the post wrap-up. And I actually put the coloring with the scarlet and gray, some of the up there, which matches, you know, the Ohio State colors. And I had to go to Wikipedia to determine where the scarlet and gray came from. Even Donnie didn't know that. It goes back over 100 years that those colors were picked. McGinnis, he finds the big poster. Mike McGinnis. Get this and then he puts the saying under there, something like, not we are Penn State, but whatever that Penn State saying is, like, he, he signs that on Donnie's post <laughs> had the to get the Donnie, so I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but we had a lot of fun uh, with all that, it was just a very friendly, cordial, we got a lot of really good comments, and uh, I just think that um, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm so grateful to all my friends and people that uh, really helped me make this uh, a success because without the, the key people and uh, just all the support of everyone, it would have been really tough for me to do this. Anyway, uh, why don't you let Ashley weigh in with a couple things. All us. right, Go Ashley.
1: We'll, you we'll give you the wrap-up. Have... Wrap Hello, Ashley. You get the wrap-up today.
2: Thanks, Joe. I think it was, you guys have done a great job on on really characterizing what happened. It was a great event. A lot of good speakers. Covering a lot of topics that affect their industry, and I think that's really important for your listeners to to really understand from the law side to the contract side to the software side to the doing it side. It was covered well. Great bunch of people enjoyed the camaraderie and the getting together and talking about all sorts of stuff in our industry. Can't say any more. It was fabulous, guys. Thank you. And don't forget the food. Oh, food was off the charts. Yeah. <laughs> This is very special. Matter of fact, you know what McGinnis says? McGinnis says, not only is it the most important thing, it's the only thing. Of course, he's only kidding when it comes to that. Uh, anyway, bro- uh, you broke up, her, Pete.
1: What was the most important thing?
3: Food. Well, McGinnis uh, says the
2: <laughs> food. <both. laughs> okay. And I uh. said, you
1: know, he was only kid, but, you know, uh,
2: that's, uh, that's always an important part because it's the concept of breaking bread that's how people
1: build and develop relationships. That's right. All right. So this is Radio Joe saying thanks to this week's guests. My co host, the Z Man, Cliff Slotnick, Pete, the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, and John Isaacson, the DYO Joe guy. Thank you so much. And of course, Ashley Easterby for joining us. And uh, enjoy. I hope you're enjoying your trip. You look great, by the way, Ash. And uh, I also want to thank Grayson. you gone fishing Fisher at the Controls, our new podcast engineer our sponsors, and most importantly, our growing loyal audience. We'll be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. And, and one thing, Joe, go Niners, baby. I'm rooting for the Niners in the Super Bowl. So we'll see
2: what happens with that. I, I had enough of all that Kansas City drama and all that. I won't say anymore because we'd have to cut it off at the end of the tale. Anyway, Grayson, you got your hands full to load this uh, up, and Cliff, I know you got a the big, big job the, the, the covering all this and John's input. I'm looking forward to seeing the blog and, and putting it out. There you go. There you oh, go. There you go. <laughs> all right. We're, we got a late checkout. We're out of here. We're going down to see dinner, Bob, Concrete Bob tonight, Richard Alexis tomorrow, and then Ron Mazer Mason's coming up. Brittany's going to be there. We're having a whole Super Bowl party down there in Delray, and Ashley's out of out of Fort Myers Monday. Flies back down under. Anyway, uh,
1: it's been a great week. seeing you all. All, All right, right
0: Spike, guys. Thanks for joining us. See- for IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Rio, saying thanks for listening.